Uh, we're continuing in our lesson, uh, our series of lessons on first principles this morning. Uh, the elementary doctrine of Christ is how it's said in, in Hebrews 6. And we're going to talk about repentance. Hebrews 6, 1 through 2. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God, the instruction of washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Last week we started, well really two weeks ago, but last week we really uh, dug into the idea of faith toward God. And we mostly answered the question last week, what is faith? We didn't really talk about what are we supposed to have faith in. The content slash identity of our faith, that is what we actually believe, is found in the rest of these doctrine, the rest of the elementary doctrine of Christ, right? We're going to talk about uh, the, the, the repentance and the washings and laying on of hands, the resurrection, judgment, that's the content of our faith, right? The things that we are believing in. We're going to start with repentance from dead works as we consider some of the things we are supposed to believe and how that affects our lives. Now, we're going to break this down. Repentance from dead works into the two parts, right? Because we've got repentance and we've got the dead works. So we're going to start with what are dead works? What does that mean? Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, uh, 5a, it's half of verse 5. Sometimes I really hate the verse breaks, guys. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. You were dead in the trespasses of, and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Uh, I want to make a, a, a brief introduction to this idea. The contrast of the spirit at work in the sons of disobedience versus what we would, we would think about for the Christian, right? The Holy Spirit at work in the sons of obedience, hopefully the children of obedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. That is, we lived among those who are disobedient, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Dead works. If we're going to boil this down to the most basic thing, what is a dead work? It is something that is contrary to God's will. That's what dead works are. They're things that we do that are against God's will. Whose will are they? It's interesting. He does tell us in the text whose will the dead works are. The prince of the power of the air, right? The one who, he might say in a different, he does say in a different place, the God of this world, our adversary, Satan. They're his will. Dead works are things that he wants us to do. Things that he would desire us to, to engage in. We see a couple other things, right? These works, the dead works, are in the course of this world. That is, they're things the world lauds, they're things the world thinks are good. Or we might say it more mundanely, things the world thinks are normal. Right there in the course of this world, just the natural, the, the, the worldly way of living. And of course, we understand, we want to make this distinction, right? We understand there are some righteous things that the world thinks are good. It's not like the world just thinks all righteous things are horrible and only wants to do unrighteous things, right? The world understands self-sacrifice and being generous, and, and we understand that. So we need to make the distinction here. The course of this world, we're following the course of this world, just because the world, that is, those around us who aren't Christian, our culture at large, thinks something is normal or thinks something is good, doesn't make it normal or good, right? These might be dead works. They're born of the passions of the flesh. That is, these dead works might seem natural. We use the word natural here. Normal versus natural. Things that feel good. Things that we instinctively might want to do. Just because something is natural, quote-unquote natural to us, that is something that we feel in our flesh that we want to do, that doesn't make it good, that doesn't make it right. 
The dead works are of the passions of the flesh. They might seem natural. Romans 6, 19 through 21. Just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves leading to righteousness, uh, slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Uh, what's sanctification? That's being made holy, right? We're the process of being made holy. While you were slaves, uh, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. There's a circular nature to dead works. We could think about this in a couple of ways. On the one hand, dead works come from being spiritually dead, right? We, we're dead in our trespasses. We're spiritually dead. We're separated from God. And so dead works are born out of that, right? The course of this world. They are the passions of the flesh as opposed to the spirit of God. But the other way of thinking about this, they are things that lead to spiritual death. They both come from spiritual death and they lead us to spiritual death. That's what he says, right? The end of those things is death. Well, it's not necessarily physical death, although a lot of the deeds of the flesh, they will lead to physical death, but not necessarily that's what he's saying because righteousness can sometimes lead to death too if we're being faithful unto death. Rather, what is the end of these things? Death in the spiritual sense. Our souls are dead. We're separated from God. What have you done in the past that you were ashamed of? And he says this very clearly, right? What was the fruit you were getting at the time from those things of which you are now ashamed? And I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what your history is like. You've got stuff that you can think of in the past and you, you think about, why did I do that? That was so, that was so dumb. Why, ah, why, why did I do that? Those are the dead works. The things that if we continue to do them, the things that if we don't ever change, don't ever turn our lives around, they will lead us into spiritual death. We need to break the cycle of death that comes from living in rebellion to God. Repentance from dead works. Things that are not in accordance with his will. Things that are in accordance with the will of our adversary, the devil. Things that are in accordance with the way the world wants us to be. And things that will ultimately lead us into spiritual death. That cycle of death needs to be broken and that's where repentance comes in. Repentance is how we break the cycle of death in living rebe in rebellion to God. So what is repentance? Number two, Ephesians 2, 5 through 9, the second half of verse 5 through 9. He has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Repentance begins, the first step. Acknowledging that we are not good enough for God. That is the first foundational part of repentance. To admit to myself, to admit to God, to admit to others, I can't do it. I can't be good enough. I cannot get out of this cycle of death that comes from living in rebellion to God without some outside help, without some assistance. We're dead and have no way to be made alive again. I can't, I can't fix myself. I can't make it better. I can't do it on my own. This realization comes from and leads to certain emotions. There is a, a heavy emotional component to repentance. You might have noticed, we'll read the verse again in just a minute. The verse that was read for us in Corinthians, right? The godly grief versus the worldly grief, the sorrow. This admitting that we cannot do it on our own 
comes from an emotional state and also leads us into a particular emotional state. Romans 2, 3 through 5. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead to repentance? What's his kindness? The immeasurable riches of his grace? The thing that he did for us that we might be saved? The sacrifice of Jesus? The thing that we remembered in communion? His kindness and not just smoting, uh, smiting us? I guess smiting would be the right word there. You think about the Old Testament stories. Some of the times when they rebelled. I think about Korah's rebellion. And what happens? Just the earth and swallows them up. It's kind, God, that he doesn't do that to us anymore. Right? He doesn't just strike us dead. That's a kindness. The forbearance. The patience. That's supposed to lead to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. What did he say previously? You are by nature children of wrath. This is how repentance connects to faith, right? Before we repent, we must, in Hebrews 6, 6, we must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And when our faith in God's goodness ultimately breaks our hearts, it leads to repentance. Why? Because I realize I couldn't do it on my own. I need help. I need someone to, to do something for me. That's God. He did that for me. The thing that would get in the way of that is the hard and impenitent heart. An unwillingness to admit the truth that I need help. And the callousness, we might say callous hearts in other versions, the callousness to feel nothing at the goodness of God. To have no emotional response whatsoever to the realization that I am sinful and I need God's help. What gets in the way of repentance? Arrogance, pride, unbelief, apathy. Repentance comes from a state of our hearts. Think about the song, Break my heart, dear Lord, tear the barriers down. That's what we're asking, right? We need to break the hardness of our hearts and to feel some something, feel some way. Because of what God has done for us. 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 11. For even if I made you grieve with my letter. He's talking about 1 Corinthians, right? What did he talk about in 1 Corinthians? There's this guy, he has this sin, the thing that's going on. And he says, put that guy from among you. you you're, you're rejoicing, you're, you're arrogant, you shouldn't act this way. You need to change, you need to do something different. And that made them sad. And he's like, well, I, I kind of, I'm glad that that happened, right? Even if I made you grieve with my letter, I don't regret it. I did regret it, for I see that it grieved you, though only for a little while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. The classic contrast, Judas and Peter. One had grief that led to death. One had grief that led to repentance or led to salvation without regret. And then this list of emotions here. I want you to think about as we read these things, how many of these do you feel when you think about your sin? See what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. When you think about your sin, does it make you feel earnest in your approach to God? Do you feel eagerness to clear yourself? Do you feel indignation? Indignation, maybe they felt indignation originally at Paul. How dare you say these things to us? But 
hopefully that turned inward, right? Indignation at myself. How could I do that? That was so dumb. That's indignation, right? Towards myself. What fear? Thinking about our sins should lead to fear, right? Acts 2, the very first sermon, he says that ends it with the famous words, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ as Jesus whom you crucified, and they're cut to the heart. And they ask, what shall we do? That's born out of fear. What longing, what zeal, what punishment. When you consider your sin, how do you many of these, do you feel any of these? Or do you have rather the hard and impenitent hearts? Repentance is the righteous response to admitting several key truths. Number one, God loves me and he made me. Well, I guess we could actually go even further back. God exists, right? Hebrews 6, but assuming that. God loves me and he made me. My sin hurts him and separates me from him, but he loved me enough to save me despite my sin. When we admit those truths honestly in our heart, there should be some emotional response, right? Sadness and or fear. Sadness because I've grieved God. Sadness because I'm lost. Sadness because I've done the wrong thing. Fear because judgment is coming. It's good to feel those things. This godly grief. That's what godly grief is, right? Sadness and sorrow that is mixed with this fear of God's judgment and wrath that leads to wanting to be better. The change that comes in us. Repentance is then a reversal of life course. I'm no longer going to live for myself. That is, I'm no longer going to devote myself to the dead works, but I'm going to live for God. And so what does it look like, repentance, in our lives? We think about true versus false repentance. That is, the godly grief that leads to repentance or the worldly grief that leads to more death. Acts 26, 19 through 20. Therefore, uh, this is Paul. He's making sort of a statement about his faith and his work. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And Paul had cause to have this grief, right? Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus. Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And Paul have two reactions. Well, really three. Unbelief, disbelief. That's not Jesus. I was just crazy for a minute. Could have the sorrow of the worldly grief. Ah, how could I do that? I'm so horrible. I'm never going to be good enough. Ah, it just is the worst. Or the godly grief, right? That leads him to realize, yes, I'm lost. Yes, I did the wrong thing. And now I need to do something else. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared it first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, throughout the, all the region of Judea, to, to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and perform deeds in keeping with their repentance. Ephesians 2.10, after that long section we've read in Ephesians 2, 1 through 9, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, not the dead works, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You can think about James 2.17. So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The difference between godly sorrow that leads to life and worldly sorrow that leads to death is in our actions, right? What are we willing to do? I know I can't be good enough for salvation. That's the admitting of our need for, for his grace. But repentance leads me to try my hardest anyway. I know I can't be good enough, but I'm going to be as good as I can be in pursuing pleasing God. I know that part of me will always want to do the dead works. That's always going to be a struggle. The dead works are always there. The sorrow that comes from them will always be present in my life. Because I'm, occasionally I'm going to succumb, but I'm going to discover to the best of my ability what God wants me to do. 
I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. What God wants me to do. If we're not willing to change when we discover God's truth, can we really claim to have faith? There is a natural sequence here. I believe in God. I believe he exists. I believe he rewards those who seek him. That's good enough. I don't need to change anything. Do you really believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him? If you're not willing to change your life, I would submit to you, you don't. You do not have real faith if you're not willing to change based on what you believe. Repentance is one of the key mechanisms by which God makes us alive together with Christ. We're dead in our trespasses and he makes us alive. He makes us alive in part, not just because I'm not doing the dead works anymore, I'm doing the, the good works, the works that lead to life, and I continue to do those things, and I, I've changed the way I live, and that leads to more life, spiritual life and abundant life in this, in this life. Romans 8, 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if you, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, as opposed to, what? Again, we made the contrast already. The Spirit that is now at work in the world, the spirit of the sons of disobedience, the spirit of disobedience, as opposed to the spirit of Christ, right? Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But Christ, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. The dead works. This is why we, when we talk about dead works, we're not talking about physical death. That's happening regardless. The body is dead. That's happening. That, there's no way around that. You will die. But you may not have to die spiritually. There may be life to be had beyond that is where Christ is. The Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. What does it mean that he gives life to your mortal bodies? It's not like we died and then we're right, raised like him. It's not exactly the same, right? Giving life to your mortal bodies is you were spiritually dead, you were doing the dead works, and now you're doing the good works. And now you're made alive in this body, right? In this earthly life, we're doing the things that God wants, and that's creating more life. Life in those around us, spiritual life in ourselves, hopefully spiritual life in our children, in our friends, in our, in our congregations, that we're all helping one another to be instruments of God's spirit. Repentance is the first step. To admit that what I was doing before, I shouldn't be doing. To admit that I can't make it better on my own. I was doing all those dead works, now I, I need help changing. To believe in the truth that God has promised, the offer of salvation. To make that first step, to join him in that and then to do the good works in the future. Instead of doing dead works, we do what God wants. Repentance, like faith, as we conclude, is a key part of God's promise of the Holy Spirit. We remember it in Acts 2, right? And we already referenced it a bit. Therefore God has made him both Lord and Christ, as Jesus whom you crucified. When they heard this, they were cut to the hearts. Fear and loathing and that, that godly sorrow. What should we do? Repent and be immersed into, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who will do this. He will give life to your mortal bodies. 
if we're willing to repent, if we're willing to admit that I need his help.